0: Last Sunday, we launched our Sermon on the Mount series on good authority by focusing at the end. We started with the end of the Sermon on the Mount because it's there that Jesus shares very clearly how he intends for his words to be taken, and he means for them to be taken seriously. He says very plainly, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a fool. So he calls us to take these seriously. This isn't some casual philosophy. This isn't just another teaching of a great philosopher. These come like a direct bolt from heaven that challenges and calls for authentic faith and calls us to live towards an extraordinary love in all of our relationships. We shared last Sunday also how Matthew, the writer of the gospel with this Sermon on the Mount, sees Jesus as the completion of what Moses started, that the Sermon on the Mount is the fulfillment of all that's contained in the Torah in the first five books of the Old Testament. So, again, I'm encouraging you to let these words be ingrained in your hearts. I can't imagine any more important words to put into our hearts and minds than these words directly from Jesus that declares what the kingdom is about. So, again, I'm offering you a couple challenges. One is try to reread the Sermon on the Mount each week. And I would encourage you, when it's possible, to recite them out loud because these were words written for the ear and not for the eye. And for those of you that want extra credit, I invite you to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. It is possible. It can be recited in 12 minutes and 30 seconds. And anybody who's willing to take up that challenge, and even if you come close to reciting those, I will take you to a nice dinner, all right? Deal. Deal. Now, the Beatitudes are not something that you'd want to post out in the churchyard. It's not going to draw people into the church. Matter of fact, it has some history of actually turning people away when they've not interpreted these words well and put them into their proper context. If you take them at face value, this is not a Jesus you want to follow. I mean, you think about it, those of us who work hard, do we really want to be poor in spirit? And those of us that have to mourn, isn't that something that we we just want to get through as fast as we possibly can? And we know that the meek get trampled on in this life. And really few of us really experience what persecution's truly like in our world, in this country. So why does Jesus start this Sermon on the Mount with these words, these confusing words? So I want us to try to picture the audience. That would have been there when Jesus shared that sermon on that hill just north of the Sea of Galilee. And the first thing you need to take note of is that this place, the crowd that he is speaking to, are miles away from Jerusalem, which is the political and religious center of Israel, of Palestine in that day. There's some 70 miles as the crow flies in many days' travel by foot through the footpaths and rocky terrain, they were far removed, they were not the power center. So people lived a more simple life, they tended to be less educated, there was less economic opportunity, and yet they were just as oppressed under the Roman authorities as anyone else. About the only advantage of that authority was that there was a relative peace throughout the Roman Empire, but even in this remote area, the Romans couldn't be everywhere, so they still were victims to bandits and thieves. And imagine who was in that crowd. I mean, we, we know who was in that crowd. The people following Jesus around, looking for miracles. They brought to him the lame, the blind, the paralyzed, those who were sick and those who were diseased in search of help. And they were also in search of hope. Because they heard that this Jesus speaks with a new authority, not like the Pharisees with all their legalisms and such a focus on ritual. He shared a fresh word, an exciting word. And the words that he shared were a different kind of thinking about God. This God doesn't punish people through sickness for their sin. This God is not one who smiles and favors the wealthy. This is a word, a fresh word. So the Beatitudes were good news to that crowd that gathered on that hill that Jesus spoke. They shared fresh news. And God understood their challenges. And they were promised to be part of the kingdom of God now. And future blessings were also promised as well. Now, the Beatitudes may not sound like good news to us, but I want to try something. So would you stand when I share a statement that you can say speaks to me? So would you stand or remain standing? If you can recall a time when life knocked you down so hard that you would have trouble believing things would get better. Would you stand, please? Would you stand if you've experienced grief from the loss of someone precious to you so much that you feel there's a part of you missing? Please stand and remain standing. Stand if you found yourself in a new place or a new circumstance in your life and you lost all confidence in yourself for a period of time. Stand if you have ever found your integrity challenged by a situation asking you to compromise your values and you realize you're ris- risking your future if you stand true to what you believe. Stand if you felt disillusioned or overwhelmed by an injustice in this world and you feel the promises, you feel powerless to make things the way you ought to, they ought to be. And finally, stand if you've been ridiculed for your beliefs or you feel afraid to speak your mind because of what you might lose if you do. And if you're not standing, you're fortunate. But would you stand with us also? Because when you've been in those times, even if it was temporary, these words become good news to you. We're going to put on the screen the translation of the Beatitudes by N.T. Wright. I think he captures well. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask Pastor Aaron to help me read that. I'll read the pastor parts. And then those of you that are on the left, your left, follow me and recite those. And those that are on the right, your right, follow Aaron. And would you kind of turn to each other and share this good news towards each other? Okay, ready? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the hillside and sat down His disciples came to him and he took a deep breath and began his teaching. Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wonderful news for the mourners. You're going to be comforted. Wonderful news for the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. Wonderful news for those who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You are going to Wonderful news for the merciful. you'll receive mercy yourselves. Wonderful news for the pure in heart. you will see God. Wonderful news for the peacemakers. you'll be called children. For. Wonderful news for people who are persecuted because I way. The kingdom of God belongs to you. Wonderful news for you. When people slander you and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked things about you falsely because of me. Celebrate rejoice. There's a great reward for you in heaven. That's how they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Thank you. You may be seated. That's what Jesus intended to be heard on that hillside to a people who needed to hear that good news. I think these words become even more powerful When you try to understand what Jesus was trying to say when he referred to the poor in spirit. Remember, what we're reading is the English of the Greek of the Aramaic that Jesus spoke. And the closest Hebrew term that we can come to that poor in spirit is a Hebrew word called anavim. Anavim. And when we understand what he's speaking there, it becomes even more powerful. You see that term started, originated at the time of the exile when the people of Judah had been conquered by the kingdom of Babylon and they took back to Babylon the exiles. Now, that was a very particular strategy of the Babylonians. It was a very effective one. They would take the most educated, the most skilled and remove them from the land that they had conquered and take them back home. And accomplished two things. For one, it took away the troublemakers. They're the ones that fomented the the rebellion. And so they took them away so they could no longer cause that much trouble, which meant they didn't have to leave as strong of an army there to maintain that peace. The second thing it did was it brought back skills and trades that made their kingdom even stronger. Now, think about this. They didn't take everybody. And the people that were left were the Anavim. That's what they were referred to. Now, if you think you've ever been insulted, think about the meaning to the people that are the anavim who are told by their enemy, you're so useless, we're not going to take you back with us. Think about that. That is who the poor in spirit that Jesus is referring to. That's what he speaks. It's a powerful term. So the people on that hill that day were occupied by a foreign country. They were poor they were marginalized. And Jesus starts by blessing them and saying, blessed are the anavim. And he said it in the present tense, which means that they're part of the kingdom now, not just in the future. Dallas Willard actually refers to the anavim as the spiritual losers. So, that makes it hard for us to hear the beatitudes, doesn't it? I mean, none of us want to think of ourselves as losers. Uh, if you stood, then you know that there are times that we do feel like a spiritual loser. We have been in those onavim moments. And the reality is that in our world, there's only so much room at the top. There's only so many people that can be at the top. We live in a world where nearly half of our population, almost three billion people, make less than $2.50 a day, 80% of this world makes $10 or less a day. There's a lot more losers in life than there are winners. And that good news goes to them. And it goes to us when we have those times. So I encourage you to recall those Anna moments, moments. And and hear the good news for you when you've had those times, those times when you were not chosen for that team or when you were not invited to that party or when you struggled to find that circle of friends or those leaner economic times that you had when it seemed every time you just started to get a little bit put away, something would go wrong and snatch that back up. We've all had those times. And sometimes it's just our health, one thing after another and we feel like those spiritual losers, those Anavim. I thought of a time that Nancy and I felt like the Anavim. In 2010, Nancy was diagnosed with breast cancer. Fortunately, it was caught early through a routine mammogram, and she was told that if she went through chemotherapy and radiation, she would have an 80% chance of survival. It was a tough decision, but Nancy decided to do everything she could to make sure that cancer would not come back. The cancer became very real to us when she started to lose her hair. And so, to avoid the indignity of watching that happen, slowly she decided to have her head shaved, and we went to do that at a wig shop in the south side of Indianapolis. There's a couple places in Indianapolis that's specifically for cancer patients, focus on that at least. And so we went that day, and she had her head shaved and was fitted with a couple wigs, one of which would have to be ordered, but the one that she looked best in, she was able to wear out of that store. We decided to go have lunch, and we went to one of our favorite Thai restaurants. Now, I don't know why, but for some reason, during that time, Thai food was comforting to us. We ate Thai a lot. So we went to that restaurant and sat down started to look at the menu when another patron who had already finished eating got up and was getting ready to leave, and they stopped and they looked at Nancy, and she said, I just love your hair. (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) And she left, and Nancy and I just looked at each other and smiled because she didn't have a clue what Nancy had just gone through. It was like God sent her as an angel from heaven to say just what she needed to hear at that time. It brought tears to our eyes and brought a little humor to a day that was very tense and difficult for us. Well, God blessed us in many ways like that during that time. matter of fact, we even found ways to have a little fun with it. Because later that year, when Nancy had completed all of her chemotherapy treatments, her hair had not started growing back yet, but we were invited to go to her son's destination wedding in Las Vegas. It happened to be on Halloween weekend. And so they decided that they wanted to have a Halloween party the day after the wedding and reception. And so close family and friends were invited to come to this Halloween party in a nightclub there in Las Vegas in costume. Now, I'm not really good at coming up with creative costumes, but I had an idea. Given given my lack of hair and Nancy's current state of baldness at that time, we decided to go as each other. So Nancy got an eyeliner pencil and penciled in a little hair on the sides. I actually had a little facial hair at the time, so she put a little Fu Manchu thing going there. She put on one of my IU long sleeve shirts. We went to Goodwill and bought me a dress. <laughs> I shaved my facial hair and put on her wig. I love to tell you, she's a much better-looking man than I am a woman. <laughs> but we went into that nightclub, our family, we didn't tell anybody what we were doing. Their jaws just dropped. (laughs) They were stunned. They just kept staring at us. But you know, it was a very healthy thing to do because they had not quite come to terms with Nancy's cancer. They still worried about her future and for them to see us deciding that we're not going to let this disease break our spirits was such a blessing to them. So When you have those anavim moments, know that God does bless the poor in spirit. Jesus intended that kind of hope to the people who gathered on that hill for that Sermon on the Mount. They were a gathered mass who had found life difficult, and they were offered blessing by Jesus, especially to those who remained faithful in spite of their difficult circumstances. Granted, most of those promises are future promises. You may notice when you read these Beatitudes, blessed are, will be those, blessed are those who are born, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who seek justice, because they will be satisfied. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. But notice that the first and last are present tense which tells us that these are a present and a future reality, which is the gospel. That as we live into Jesus' words, as we trust in what he has for us and those promises, we get a taste of the kingdom now. It's not complete. It's not perfect. There's still much more to be accomplished. But it begins here. And that's what he was saying to those people for whom life was so difficult. So if you're frustrated by the way the world is, you continue to see injustice, hang in there. Continue to do the right thing. Know that everything that might seem like a futile effort is somehow used by God in his mysterious way as a building block for the kingdom of God that begins here and will be fulfilled and completed someday into the future. So keep striving for justice. Continue to offer mercy, trusting that mercy will be returned. Do that right thing regardless of the reward be a peacemaker in a world that seems to still love violence. Be prepared for ridicule, for the kingdom of God is yours now and will be. Let's pray. Lord, we do lift up anyone now who's in one of those anavim moments where they feel poor in spirit, where they are struggling. May they feel your presence right now. May they be lifted up and hang on to the hope that Jesus offers to us just as he did to those people on that hill long ago. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.